You're probably already open to 1 John chapter 4. If not, let's go to verse 7. 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation, so it's one of the smaller books towards the end of your Bible. Let's read from verse 7 to the end of the chapter. The word says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed that the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Our format this morning will be a little different. We're going to study the word together and then sing worship songs that have to do with what we learned. It's great because you get an opportunity to, res to respond with your, your lips and your mouth to God and say, yes, this is what I believe. It's also good because it keeps you awake because you have to stand up about every seven or eight minutes. Right? What we read, you saw it. God loves you. You also saw that you should love God in return. And you also saw, thirdly, that the way we show that we love God is to love one another. This passage is really basic to our belief system, isn't it? It's very fundamental. It's very foundational. When we come to passages like this, sometimes we can have a tendency to say, well, this is so basic. This is so elementary. I really don't need it. This is Christianity 101. I've got it dialed in. Let's go on to something deeper, right? But I submit to you that this is one of the most difficult things to actually apply in our lives. It's not really complicated, but living it out is difficult. It is not easy for us to love God. It's not easy for us to love one another. And if we don't pay attention to, to the fundamentals of our faith, what's going to happen? Our foundation is going to start to crumble, 
So that maintenance is really, really important. This passage also did something for me this week, and I hope it does the same for you. There was a lot of purging that happened in my life, and it needed to happen. There was a lot of refocusing that I needed. And if that's you this this day, if that's you this morning, let it happen in your life. God wants to work through this. The basics are not to be ignored in the Bible. We're to build on the basics, right? They're foundational to our faith. And we keep going back to who makes us strong and to what makes us strong, to who saved us and how we were saved and the life that we're to live because of that. So point number one, I said it already, is God loves us. And specifically, God loves you. That's where everything begins, isn't it? Your existence, your life, your future, it's all because of God's love for you. How do we know that God loves us? How do you know that God loves you? Well, the answer was given to you right here in the word. If you look at verse nine, God sent his only begotten son into the world. That's some strong proof, isn't it? That he loves you. He sent his son, Jesus, into the world. And then it goes on. If you look at verse 10, the second half, he loved us and sent his son to, to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is he gave himself in exchange for you. He, like, he took your place. He took my place when he died on that cross. This is the proof of God's love for us. Now, the Bible provides a lot of different proofs of God's love, but most often, the number one proof that it gives us is the cross. Jesus was tortured on that cross, wasn't he? And I deserve the torture of hell. And so do you. But Jesus took that torture for me. That's too strong for some, but it shouldn't be. That's the truth. The reason the cross was so agonizing is because our sin is so great. We, we've wandered, we've sinned against the Lord, but there's not hopelessness. In fact, there's hope because Jesus gave his life on the cross. Today, if you're doubting that God loves you, would you lift up your head and, and survey the wondrous cross? Would you look at what Jesus did to buy heaven for you, to pardon you of your sin, to put you in right relationship with him? When Jesus hung on the cross, he was separated from God the Father. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I deserve to be separated from God the Father because of my sin, and so do you. But Jesus took that separation for us. The love that he showed for, for you and for me and really for the whole world, for the whole world completely, being the payment, being the propitiation for our sins, that's the display of love that I hope we can see today. I hope you know it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I hope you know it. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, God did not love us and God doesn't continue to love us because we loved him first. He's the initiator and we're responding to his love. He didn't love you or me or anybody when we were lovable or worthy of his love. Look what it says in verse 19, the second half of that verse. He loved us first. He started the loving. In fact, he showed his love for us while we were still his enemies. Not when we were neutral, but when we were wandering 
in our sin, stubborn, stiff-necked, and blind, that's when Jesus gave his life for me and for you. This is the love of God. He loves us. He proved it through the cross. It says here that he is the example of love. It says God is love. So our example of love doesn't come from mere humans. Look at verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Sometimes we think, well, we're the, we're the lovers. No, the Lord showed us what love is. Like he's the example, he's the pinnacle. Jesus is the embodiment of love. Without him, we wouldn't even know what love is. Now we would know a conditional love, which really isn't love at all. We may know a twisted love, which isn't love at all. But we would not know real love, true love, if it were not for the Lord. God is more than love, but everything that defines love is found in our almighty God, the one true God. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. That's where it starts. Thank you for not waiting (laughs) until we were worthy because it never would have happened. Thank you for reaching out to us. And thank you for continuing that, Lord. Thank you for calling to those who have not yet believed and just being so faithful in the midst of a very, very faithless world. Lord, I pray for those that have refused to believe that they would understand that they can, they can put their trust in you, that they can decide to love you because you've loved them first. I pray for every single Christian that they would be compelled when they hear of your love to not stay the same. Lord, we don't tire of it. You, Lord, are the, the giver of life, the one who rescued us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Number one, God loves us. Number two, we ought to love God in return, right? That is the reasonable response. Look at verse 19. It says, we love him because he first loved us. So the command to love God is here in the passage, but it's not like it's hammered home the way it is other places in the Bible. It's understood here that the logical response to God's love is for you to love him back, for me to love him back. He gave his life on Calvary's tree so that I could be forgiven and free. How could I not love him back? How could I not say, here am I, Lord. I'll give you everything. I'll love you with my whole life. You gave your whole life for me. He loved us so extravagantly, so perfectly. So should we not love him back? How could you not be grateful and give him your life. That's what's understood here in the passage. That's what's taught here. We love him because he first loved us. We used to sing a song a long, long time ago, Who Would Not Love You? by John Barnett. He also wrote In the Blessing. And the chorus of Who Would Not Love You says, Who would not love you? Who would not cherish you? Who would not serve you all their days? That song is presenting this biblical truth that the grateful person says, How could I not love you, Jesus? How could I not love you back, Lord, for what you've given to me first? So not only is loving God the reasonable response, but I want you to see that it is a clear command. This is one of the quiz questions, wasn't it? When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment, what did he say? You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he threw in the second. He said the second is like it. 
to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God back is the logical response. It is the reasonable response, but it's also a command from the Lord. Love me. Pour out your life. Lay down your life to me because I laid down my life for you. Now, do you see in this chapter where the Lord points out to us that it's pretty easy to say, I love you. That the declaration is often made, but often not shown, or sometimes not shown. That's why John writes what he does in verse 20. Go there in your Bible if you would. If someone says, I love God, doesn't the phrase, I love you, get thrown around a lot? And we know that sometimes it just isn't true, person to person, but the word of God is saying here to us that there are those, and may we not be among them, who say, oh, I love God. But then there's a test of that love. It's something that's fairly easy to say, but actually pretty difficult to prove. These are things that that all happened just this week. Jesus is struggling with a sudden sickness. Are you willing to make him a meal? I am. I love you, Lord. I'm definitely willing to make you a meal, Jesus, if you've been suddenly injured or suddenly sick. If I could bless you like that, who wouldn't answer the call? Well, the ungrateful wouldn't, but any believer would say, Jesus needs a meal. I'm going to get it for him. When the apostles were with Jesus during his earthly ministry, they were outdoors a lot. They had no place to lay their head. They were, they were living outside. They were living wherever they could, right? Do you think when, when Jesus needed a little bit of extra food, the disciples were like, he can get it himself. He's got two legs. No, let me get it for you, Jesus. Do you, do you think they were like, well, do you think Jesus had to ask, hey, could somebody get me some, some more bread? Could somebody get me some more water? No. Jesus needs some firewood this winter. Do you think when they were around the fire, and there needed to be another log, needed to be another branch. They're like, Jesus, would you go get that for us? Are you willing? If Jesus needs some firewood this winter, will you get your chainsaw out? Would you get your splitter out? Would you, would you haul some wood for the Lord? I will. I love you, Lord. It's a reasonable response. It's a command for me to love you. How could I not bring firewood to Jesus? How could I not bring Jesus a meal? Jesus needs his lambs to be fed. He said this to Peter, did he not, in the book of John. He said, if you love me, feed my lambs. He needs somebody to study and to give his lambs the bread of life. Needs somebody to prepare and commit and show up and love those lambs. Will you do it? I will, Lord. I love you, so I'll feed your lambs. Be careful if you nod your head. I might put you on the schedule. Jesus' brother is struggling with anger or with drunkenness or with greed or with lust. Who's willing to speak the truth in love and show that he loves Jesus by doing that? Jesus had brothers on this, or Jude and and James, and neither one of of them believed in him during his earthly ministry. There are our brothers and sisters around us that are hurting, and it is hard to go to somebody and say, man, I want to help you. I know you're hurting. This is what I see. Will you say yes? Will you do it? 
We're to love the Lord because he loved us first. We're not worthy of his love, certainly not worthy of ours, but let's respond the way that we should in love back to the Lord. Because the Bible is telling me and it's telling you, the Lord is speaking by his spirit and saying, it's easy to say that you love God, but it's really easy to do. Let's sing to him and then talk about the follow through. These songs are about the declaration of our love for God. We've sang a lot about the great love of Jesus for us, and we should. But these are about, Lord, I'm loving you back. I love you because you first loved me. Last of all, we show we love God by loving others. And this is the kicker, isn't it? (laughs) When we love others, the Bible says right here in this chapter, we love others, it shows that we know God, it shows that we're of God, and then finally it says that we show that we love God back by loving our brothers, by loving our sisters. Look at what it says in verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now skip down to verse 21. For this commandment we have from him, it means it's from Jesus, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Loving one another is difficult. If you think it isn't difficult, I ask you this. Do you love people that you don't like? Because I'm okay as long as I can pick who I sacrifice for or who I serve. But all of a sudden, it's not okay when I can't choose, when I can't be selective about who I love. You're called to love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Anybody who needs you. Anybody who needs help, that's your neighbor. And sometimes we don't like our neighbors, but we're called to love them. And it's the reasonable response, not to the neighbor first, but to God first, that we would love our neighbor. We are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That means we're to love everyone who's saved. We're to love those who aren't saved yet, and we're to love those in the body of Christ. Do you get to pick who's in the body of Christ? Do you wish you could? We don't get to pick who the Lord saves. The Lord puts brothers and sisters into the family of God and we're commanded by God to love them and that's how we show that we know God and that we love God because we love our brothers and our sisters. It is a monumental task to love one, to love one another and if we don't see it as a monumental task, then sometimes we're not up for the game. We're not up for the, the challenge, if you put it that way. Because if you think it's easy, you're, you're just not right. It's difficult. But since it is the first commandment and the second commandment to love, the Lord will equip you. He's faithful. He's given you his spirit. He's empowered you to love one another. It's not something we're naturally good at. If we think we are, then we're fooling ourselves. It is a lot easier to love those that appreciate us, isn't it? Do you find yourself gravitating towards service where the people show how appreciative they are to you? The hardest time to love is when people don't give a rip about what you're doing to serve them. When people are very appreciative, you kind of wonder, is this really about loving God or is this just about the fact that I'm just so blessed that they're blessed and I'm just so happy that they see the value in what I'm doing for them? 
Just last night, I was talking to a fellow teacher about what it's like to have somebody fall asleep as you're teaching. It, it hurts, right? It's, it's rough. There could be 100 people paying attention. When there's one person sleeping, you're like, oh, man. It's like they're not valuing, or maybe they're praying. <laughs> they're not valuing once they start snoring. They're not valuing what you prepared to give them. And right away, there's that sense of like, man, but am, the check for me or for anybody who's sharing God's word, am I sharing it because I think the person's gonna like, pay attention to it and then live it out? Or am I first sharing it because Jesus loves me? And the way I show my love is to love others. Therefore, if you all fall asleep one week, I should still endeavor to teach the word of God. Because Jesus said, if you love me, feed my lambs. I'm one of the sheep. I need to be fed. So do you. Appreciative ministries. It's difficult. You go on a short-term mission trip. And overall, I don't, I'm not behind just a short-term mission trip, you know, one after the other. It's just, it's, it's costly or whatever. But there is something that powerful that can happen in your heart when, when you go someplace where people are extremely needy and you get out of our American bubble. I remember being down in, in Baja, California, and serving those kids and, and just come into these families where there's one adult watching 50 kids because all the moms and dads are, are out working and they don't have houses. They're living under cardboard boxes and pallets. And when you bring them stuff, when, when you bring them, it's just something pretty small and really not that expensive. The delight in them is just over the top. I'm not a generous person. And I left there with like no hat, no sunglasses, because it was like, what can I give? Because why didn't I come here more prepared to give? Why was I so prompted? Well, because the receivers were so blessed by anything we could give them. But are we just giving because we're appreciated? In the body of Christ, you're going to run into a lot of unappreciated love. You are. You're going to work hard and you're going to love others, and they're going to turn their nose up at, at your love for them. Be ready for it, but know that we ought to love God back, and that the way we show God that we love him is to love each other. That love happens. Usually, it's not in one big monumental show of love, just as we learned a couple of weeks ago. It's like, I'm laying down it in quarters. I'm laying down just in little bits at a time. I'm laying down my life I'm, I'm endeavoring to be like Jesus and to give. It's our tendency to despise those that we dislike. It's our tendency to be just really negligent and ambivalent towards those that we don't care for. And really, the Bible says that that's hate. We just are like, hey, you're on your own. You don't show me that you value what I'm doing. Therefore, I'm not going to do anything for you anymore. John points out, did you see it in verse 20? Would you look there? that your brother is right in front of you. You can see him. Isn't that true? And because you can see the person next to you, you have, you have a way to serve them that's very practical and sacrificial. Love, because you can see that person next to you, you have a way to serve them, to love them that's really tangible and measurable. And that is not so with God, because as the scriptures say here, nobody has seen God in his full glory. How can you bring Jesus a meal or some firewood if you can't see him? How do you minister to somebody 
that he loves if you can't you know, talk to them about it. The point is, is that it's practical for us to love each other and it's accessible for us to love one another. As we consider loving others, since it's very clear here, I ask, is there anyone that God is bringing to your mind? Is there anyone that God is showing you that you're not loving? It's easy for us, easier for us to say, well, in general, I need to love more. But when we put a face to the failure, it's good for us sometimes. I'm not the one putting that person in your mind or on your heart. It's the Holy Spirit. Who are you struggling to love? Be intentional about acting in love towards that person today, very soon. Make a plan to love that person that's not very lovable to you, and then carry that plan out. Now, if somebody starts to be really nice to you today, don't just assume that they hated you yesterday. That's not, okay, don't be suspicious. Maybe they didn't hate you yesterday. But do you realize that when we're not intentional, and we don't let the Lord bring to mind this is the person that I'm struggling to love. Look at me. I say I love God. Am I a liar? Because I'm not being intentional about loving this person. And my excuse is that they're difficult. I don't like them. They're not appreciative. Whatever our excuse might be, it's, it's not justified, is it? Make a plan and carry that out. Say, how am I going to be kind? The word of God says, 1 Corinthians 13, that love is patient. Love is kind. Love is suffers long. Love isn't rude. So plan, when's the next time I'm not going to be rude? When's the next time I am going to be kind? When is going to be the next, when's the next time when I'm going to suffer through their stupidity? I didn't know, suffer through their shortcoming, put it that way. Too frank for us. The excuse is this, but they haven't sacrificed for me. But did Jesus sacrifice for you? The excuse might be, well, they don't value me. They've disregarded my kindness. They have their own agenda. They're full of themselves. Did Jesus die for you when you regarded him? Did he die for you when you were humble? Did he give his life for you when you understood his kingdom? No. Or you might say this in response to, to loving somebody that you haven't been loving. I say it sometimes to myself, I don't feel like it. And if I were to love them without feeling like it, that would be disingenuous. And I can't be a faker. I've got to be authentic, right? Did Jesus feel like dying on the cross for you? He didn't. Isn't it amazing that we have Jesus's prayers in the garden of Gethsemane before he hung on the cross? Like, we know what was going on in the Lord's mind. He was sweating drops of blood. They were coming from his brow. He was agonizing because he did not feel like dying for us, to put it mildly. He was dreading the separation from his father, but he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he submitted himself to the will of God to save you from your sin. 
Now, who are you? Who am I to say, well, Lord, I don't feel like loving your people. And I'm going to wait until I do feel like it so that I can authentically love them. Jesus acted upon his character, not upon his feelings. He acted in obedience. And isn't that exactly what you and I need to do? Like, I need to act in obedience and stop being so driven by my feelings. Because I'm like, you guys know this, I'm an emotional person. I try to hide it and be objective. I'm like full of emotion. My emotions are like this. Am I going to get on the roller coaster of my heart's emotions? Or am I going to love my brothers and my sisters because Jesus loves me? Expect the abuse, even ask for it. Did you notice that as we read 7 through 21, that it's mostly about loving the church. We are to love those who have not believed upon the name of Jesus, but it's harder for me to love Christians than it is for me to love those who aren't Christians. Maybe it's not that way for you, but the reason it's harder for me is that Christians know better. They're not ignorant. They don't have blinders on their eyes. They have the Holy Spirit living inside them, So the truth is, is we ought to know better. We ought to know how to treat each other. So what happens? We set high expectations for each other and we expect that when we come to this place, and I realize that everybody here has made Jesus Christ their Lord, but many, many of us have. And we come with high expectations to be treated with kindness and goodness and sacrificial love. And then when it doesn't happen, we're like, what in the world? These people are punks. I'm not loving them. It's harder. Now the unbeliever hasn't yet received the love of Jesus. Doesn't see that their sins were paid for. Doesn't live in the freedom and the forgiveness. So admit it, there are times when you're like, man, I'm going to cut them a lot of slack because they don't know Jesus. They haven't surrendered their life to him yet. They're still trying to power their life in their own strength. But when it comes to us, it is a battle. It is hard. Endeavor. John says little children, because he was in his 90s, right? Love one another. He keeps saying, beloved, that might be too mushy for you. It's not for me. Like, you're the ones that I love. Love one another. Love me. I want to love you. There's another factor that happens in the context of the body of Christ, and it's this. We work together. And when you work together, you can rub each other the wrong way. It's difficult. Things don't always go smoothly. We step on each other's toes. Now, if you're not working together... I like this like online church thing where you're like, hey, they're just a picture and a couple comments. As long as they don't tick me off in the comments, I'm fine, right? But when you're literally in the trenches doing the work of God together, it's, it's just gonna happen that we're gonna bug each other, that we're gonna, somebody's gonna come into what you consider to be your area and they're gonna, and you're gonna do it to somebody else. And sometimes we don't even know that we hurt one another. So we have high expectations. We're working together but the Bible says this, that you ought to love your brother. And that love isn't just saying it. It's actually the action of stepping back and saying, okay, I realize right now that that wasn't the most loving thing for them to do, but I'm not going to just return evil for evil. You know, if we do good only to those that do good to us, Jesus says that those who don't know me do that. It's when you do good to those who don't do good to you. The greatest commandment, to love the Lord, second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. Right here, explained the motives, the the difficulties, the power, 
Yes, it's a struggle, but it's an area where you and I need to surrender our selfishness to the Lord, our self-centeredness to the Lord, second by seconds. Oh, oh, how I need that, God. Today, if you thought that living for Jesus was just all about something ancient, it was something about rules, it was something about just an organization, but today you've seen through God's word that it's actually love, that living for Jesus is him loving you and then you loving him back. It really isn't complicated. It's not easy, but it isn't complicated to say, Jesus, here's my life. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means if you make Jesus the one who controls your life, the Lord of your life, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And you'll be compelled to love him back. And he'll fill you up to overflowing with power to love your neighbor and to love your brother and to love your sister. And this, I think, is the best part. He'll put you in right relationship with him. You'll get to commune with the Lord every single day. Give him your sins and your sorrows. Ask him to forgive you. And know, have confidence in your heart that you're headed for heaven. That's wonderful. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to receive love. Today is the day to see the love of God in God's people and say, Jesus, I know this is of you. I choose to take it. If the gift is on the table, but if you don't receive the gift and open the package, it's not yours. Take it home with you today, right? Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I... I just pray that I wouldn't be able to tell you no. I, I pray, Lord, that I wouldn't be justified in, in my lack of love, but that I would just say yes. I thank you for, for blessing us with the power of your spirit, that you sent the helper to come, Lord, that this, this world is not just flesh and bones and physicality, but it's, it's you moving among us and in us the power of your spirit to awaken us to, to the everlasting. I thank you for your, your work. I thank you for your love, Jesus. Amen.